Acts chapter 1, verse number 1. The former treaties have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. What he did and what he taught. Until the day in which he was taken up after that he through the Holy Ghost, had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion by many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him and said, Lord, is this the time that you're going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or the season which the Father hath put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you and ye shall be, somebody shout it. Witnesses. Shout it again. Witnesses. Witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. And when he had spoken these things, while they watched, they beheld, they saw it. He was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. I got a feeling the next time he passes through a cloud, it's going to be a joyous day. Can you imagine? When the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. Woo! Y'all better quit it or I ain't ever going to get to preach. I want to preach to you tonight. It's going to sound like a crazy subject, especially, especially if you're a member of this church. I'm your pastor and you know me. You know I like to have church. I'm going to preach to you tonight. I want to be in a dead church. I want to be in a dead church. You may be seated in Jesus' name. I know some of you are thinking right now, I've lost my mind. I know you're thinking, what in the world is he doing? There was a gentleman by the name of Dietrich Bonhoeffer that was a martyr. He was hung uh, by a noose in a concentration camp. I don't know exactly where he lined up on all of his doctrine or whatever, but the man is very much quoted through history. I've read a lot of his stuff and came across a lot of his quotes and sayings. But one that always stands out to me that I just can't seem to shake, and every time I read it, it shakes me is that he said, when Christ calls a man, 
When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. I want you to think about the picture of a man who was hung by a noose because he would not renounce what faith that he had. And then take a look at modern Christianity. This says martyrdom, what's that? I would rather just go to a church that will preach what I want to hear. Let me do what I want to do. Live how I want to live. And then just tell God to deal with it. And when the trumpet sounds, we're all just going to go together. I know that Bonhoeffer said that it was Christ calling a man to die. But he did not coin that phrase. He may have coined that phrase in the verbiage in which it was spoken. The vernacular in which you and I read. But it was the Messiah himself who said. That if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. There is a reason why the gospel message that was delivered in the Holy Scripture is that of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We live in a generation that everybody wants to be a part of the resurrection, but nobody wants to die. Everybody wants the promised land, but they still want Egypt. But I want to remind you that there is a vast wilderness between leaving Egypt and arriving in a promised land. For the children of Israel, it took 40 long years. I don't know how long it's going to take for the church of the living God. But if I could have just a little bit of latitude to preach to you tonight on the last evening of this anniversary service, I want to tell you that sometimes I have great fear in my heart. When I look at the direction that some of our churches and pulpits and platforms are moving. Because it seems to me the closer we get to the promised land. That the more we are turning our face in the direction of what God has already brought this movement out of. And what God has brought this church out of. And we declare with our mouth that we love him. Yet in the very next breath we declare that it costs too much to have revival. And it costs too much to be in an apostolic church. I want to tell you right now whatever it costs us it'll be worth it all when we stand on streets of gold it was said by this very same gentleman Dietrich Bonhoeffer he said the first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. The call of Christ, the call to die, sets up a barrier between man and his natural life. We're a people that declare we love the supernatural. We love to glory in the fact that we still believe in miracle signs and wonders. That we still believe this morning 
I couldn't help but just get all over me. When Brother Willis began to tell of the goodness of the Lord, we serve a God that's able to touch a man with tuberculosis, that the doctor said, you're going to die, and all signs pointed to him dying, but the Lord reached down and touched him. Can I tell you right now that that miracle did not happen at a fellowship meeting where men were discussing what convictions we should lay down and how we should change our doctrine, but it happened at a meeting where men and women were gathered in the beauty of holiness to serve a living God. I've wondered so many times what people around the world, other religions, I've been, I've been blessed to travel a lot of places, and I've often wondered that if people would just be brutally honest with, with us, what do they think about us? What do they think about Christians? You know, I, I've, I've heard people talk about things like, this is going to make people uncomfortable, but I've heard people talk about things like Anton LaVey, who was the head of the sat- Satanic Church, the Church of Satan. And he said things basically along the premise that he's thankful that Christians don't really believe what they say they believe. He said, I'm thankful that Christians don't really believe what they say they believe. Because if they did, we wouldn't have a chance. He said, but it's people that profess him with their mouth that give us power and authority to do what we need to do. He said, because they open themselves up, they'll come to church on a Sunday and declare the delivering power of the Lord, but then go home in their private quarters. And open themselves up as a portal for the spirit of Satan to work through. So I know what the Satanists think of us. He said on at least one day out of the year, every Christian is Satanist. Uh, See, y'all thought I wasn't going to talk about it because it's over. He said every Halloween, Christians turn into satanic worship for at least one day out of the year. Well, I'm glad to tell him not every Christian does. <laughs> so, a few years ago, I was blessed to sit down at the table Brother Lang had set up for us during um, the Feast of Tabernacles. I'll get where I'm going. Stay with me for just a minute. That we go to some friends of his and have a beautiful dinner was provided and it was wonderful. We sat down at the table and he and Bishop and Sister Saint were at one end and uh, Brother Stephen was there, was a bunch of us there. And I was at the far other end and we began to discuss between the women at the table, the, the wife and the matriarch of the family. We began to discuss a little bit about what we believed and I didn't realize Brother Lang was having the very same conversation at the other end of the table. We began to discuss to them that we don't believe that God divided himself up, that God had to separate himself into three persons. They, they looked at me kind of funny, and they were like, you mean you don't believe in the Trinity? I said, no, I don't believe in the Trinity. And they said, well, we just thought all Christians did. I said, no, as a matter of fact, we believe the same thing that you believe about God. We believe that there is one God. We believe Shema Yisrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. That's what we believe. 
And I remember watching that old woman as her as her chin just dropped. She said, you believe in one God? I said, we believe in one God. I said, but the difference is that we believe that one God robed himself in flesh and dwelt among us. That the Messiah that people are waiting on, we have already been impacted by that Messiah. Down there at the other end of the table, Brother Lang was cranking it up. And I remember when we went to leave that night, I heard the conversation that said, Jeremy, the next time you're here, I must speak to my rabbi. You've got to come speak this in our synagogue. I've come to tell you tonight, church family, that God is doing something bigger than what we see in the four walls of this building tonight. So the other day, I finally found a rabbi that was completely transparent. He wasn't talking to me. It was on a video recorded. And someone asked him the question. He said, what do you think about Christianity? So stay with me right here. He said, the problem that I have with Christianity as a Jew, he said, is that very simply, the difference in Judaism and Christianity is that we believe as a Jew that God called us to serve him. He said, but the common thread of Christianity is that we have been called for God to serve us. You you can be dismissed. Think about that. He said the vast difference is that the commandments that God gave us, it's not a burden to us. It's something that we do because we love Him. And all of a sudden, my Holy Ghost radar started going off. He said we don't do it because God serves us. We do it because we want to serve the Lord. He said it seems that the message of Christianity is what can God do for me? What can the church do to serve me? What can the church do to help me? He said I want to do everything I can to serve God. Can I tell you right now that in the book of Acts, the second chapter, it was men just like that the only conversion that they had was believing that Jesus was the Messiah the first century church was not a church that desired to be served by God at all they didn't desire to be served by God but over time The question began to be asked among men, what can God do for us? I saw the most powerful quote the other day. It said the early church asked the question, what must we do to be saved? The 21st century church says, what can we do and still be saved? Well, we're trying to figure out how much we can get by with and still be saved. God is calling for a people that can say, I'm not even alive anymore. It doesn't matter how well pleased I am. It doesn't matter how good I feel in my flesh. Can I tell you on this Sunday night, I've come to preach to you that I want to be in a dead church. I want to be in a church that we have put to rest all of our fleshly desires to become like the world and be like the world 
and do what the world does. I want to serve God. We've come to a unique crossroad in Pentecost. And that crossroad in Pentecost is very simple. This is my opinion. That crossroad is, are we going to serve God? Or are we going to let God serve us? Oh, my. He's already gone away to prepare a place for us. That where he is, we may be also. But that's not the only part of that Jewish uh, betrothal ceremony that happened. Whenever that woman said yes to that man. And he went away to prepare a place. No, they hadn't consummated the marriage. But she considered herself to be his bride. And it is said that that woman would take a long veil. And she would put it over her face whenever she would go out into public places. So that everybody in public would know, I am no longer my own. I don't belong to another man. I have chosen one man. And that will be the man that I live with for the rest of my life or his life. What do you saying pastor I'm saying the very first thing that that woman did was let the whole world know I'm off the market and I'm not looking for anybody else I want to tell you apostolic something tonight it's about time that we as the people of the name stop trying to figure out how close we can get to dating without it really being dating I don't want y'all running the aisles right now You can all sit back down. It's all right. Don't get hurt right now. I saw some of you wanting to do backflips right there. Just hold your peace. We're still trying to redefine stuff. We're like, so technically, what is an affair? Well, I can tell you right now, I've been hanking up on the last few years reading all this stuff about how to be a better pastor and help people with their marriages and all that stuff. And I'm going to tell you right Right now, it gets crazier and crazier all the time. It is absolutely insane when you start reading the stuff that happens. You know what? Pe- people, it used to be back in the day that people would have to drive to, they'd drive to rest areas or drive to hotels. or you know, They'd go somewhere and they'd really have to step out and hook up. They don't have to do that anymore. They've already got it all fixed in their mind. they got it all taken care of in their mind. It's a Facebook. It's an email. It's a whatever. It just starts happening. You understand what I'm saying? And, and, then, and then when it all comes down to it, they're like, no, 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 no. We didn't do anything. We didn't do anything. That's exactly what we're doing to God right now. We separate ourselves from Him. We fall in love with other gods. We date other things. Then we come to the house of God and the preacher preaches and we feel conviction. We bow up in our spirits. I didn't do anything. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't cheat on God. He's still, the, he's still the only God, the, the only love. Jesus said, you Pharisees, you profess me with your mouth, but your heart is far from me. I'm telling you, we've got to get Pentecost beyond profession. We've got to get beyond how good we can speak it and how good we can talk it. I'm telling you right now, we've got people that can speak the language as sharp and as polished as anybody I've ever seen. But what I really want to know is, is he your one and only? Is he the one you love? Is he really fairer than 10,000? 
You know that up until Pentecost, up until Pentecost, the only record we have in biblical history is that all the Jews were still doing the same thing at Pentecost that Moses told them to do. When we close out the Old Testament, there's 400 years of silence. You understand what I'm saying? There was no aberration in their way. They weren't trying to figure out what they could get by with but still be called a Jew. But the Bible said that the first time the Lord speaks from heaven is when Zechariah is standing at the altar offering incense and the angel of the Lord shows up and says, I've heard your prayer. Don't be afraid. You understand what I'm telling you right now is that the father of John the Baptist was still doing what his father did, what his grandfather did, what his great-great-grandfather did, and he never asked any questions. He said, I want to be whatever I've got to be to still be a part of the kingdom of God. Can I tell you it's not time for us to figure out how to resurrect the old man in Pentecost and let him live. I want to be in a dead church. be in a dead church I preached in this church some time ago about these crazy false doctrines about the resurrection y'all remember some of that the twin theory that Jesus actually had a twin brother that they were separated at birth and that Jesus didn't really resurrect that Jesus was dead and that when his twin brother came to Jerusalem he found out about his brother's passing and they looked enough alike That he had some men go remove the body of Jesus from the tomb. And then he stepped in and acted like he was Jesus. And that was the Messiah. It's real. People really believe that. I preached about the hidden man theory. That when they rolled the stone away, they actually had a guy hidden inside the tomb. A doctor. That Jesus wasn't completely dead, but they put him in the tomb. And the doctor brought him back to life. Resurrected him, and that's how he got out of there. Church, I want to tell you, we had better never forsake an understanding that every part of that body was dead. From the tips of his hair all the way to the tips of his toe, he was absolutely, positively dead. When they laid him in a tomb, there was no heartbeat. When Jesus said, it is finished, it was finished. But that tells me one thing. You cannot call yourself a part of the body of Christ and not be crucified. If you're going to be a part of the body, you've got to be crucified. You've got to die to your flesh. What I'm saying to you is that if Jesus did not die, then he did not resurrect. But we are a church that lives in the resurrection power of Jesus. There are people in this room tonight that if Jesus wouldn't have really died and would not have resurrected, your funeral would have been preached a long time ago. You would have already been in the earth. Amen. You would have been dead and gone. But because of the resurrection, you are alive because he is alive. We got some folks in here tonight that can testify to you. There ain't no high like a Holy Ghost high. You ain't never been drunk till you've been drunk on new wine. I'm declaring to you tonight, I'm glad that I'm part of a dead church. I still believe in repentance. I still believe in dying. 
Let me preach to you for just a few minutes. The issue that we're having is that we have turned dying repentance into a prayer that's prayed rather than a life that's lived. And we have told people, if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, then you're saved. I, I, I don't mean at all tonight to sound redundant like I'm a broken record. But I'm pretty sure that James set the record straight when he said, Thou believest in one God, thou doest well. He said, The devils also believe and they tremble. I want to tell you that just because somebody believes he's God doesn't mean they're saved. If that's all it took to be saved, then Lucifer would be saved. But I'm declaring to you in this generation, we need somebody that'll stand up and declare that you don't just come to the altar, say a little prayer, and go about your life. I want to be in a dead church. Then Peter said unto them, pray a little prayer, get sprinkled off, and get out of here. I can't tell you how many times I've played the conversation over in my mind, almost on a daily basis, that Brother Stephen had, speaking of a professor in school, that said that as long as you tell people you don't have to do anything to be saved, they won't do anything. Yet we look at the world and we think, oh man, this costs too much. I want to ask you sometime, when was the last, something, when was the last time you sat down and started counting the blessings and the goodness of God? I walk through my house when nobody else is awake, Pastor. I lay hands on my kids. They don't even know I'm in the room. And I walk in there and say, God, I thank you that my kids are healthy. I thank you that my children are healthy. I lay my hands on the walls of that house and I say, God, I thank you for a home and for a shelter. I get up out of the bed and I put on my house shoes and I say, God, I want to thank you that I can afford to put on a pair of socks. And I walk over to that refrigerator and I open the door and I think, God, you've been so good to me. I look out in the driveway and I see those vehicles and enough money to put fuel in the vehicles and I begin to count the blessings of God. When was the last time you counted blessings? It's been a while if you say God is too expensive because I'm declaring to somebody in the house tonight that your worst day in the church is by far better than your best day without it I don't want to be a part of a living moving organism that's still in love with this present world I want to be in a dead church that is so hungry for revival we'll do whatever we've got to do to have revival I think maybe we've missed the key to apostolic revival in a lot of ways Because when we start praying for revival, we start praying for God to move. God send harvest. God send revival. God send souls. And all the time, the answer is written right in the scripture. He said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come and thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He said, Peter... If you bind it on earth, then I'm going to bind it in heaven. Notice he did not say, Peter, 
it's bound in heaven, so you start binding. We've been praying, asking God to send revival. And God is standing, looking over the balcony of heaven, saying, I'll send revival when you die. When you quit trying to figure out how much sin and worldliness you can have and still have revival, how sin revival. Heaven does not come down in the midst of confusion. Heaven does not come down in the midst of doubt and trying to figure out what we can get by with. I'm telling you, I'm glad that I'm in a dead church. You tell somebody about convictions in your life. You died out. The old man's gone. He's dead. And they said, well, where's that chapter and verse? I'm sorry, but I'm man enough to tell you that not everything I do or don't do in my life is because it's written in the book. But I do it because I want to be in a dead church. Some of us, oh, God. Put your seatbelts on. Some of us have crossed through the Red Sea. God's brought us through the water. When we turn around and look behind us, we see Pharaoh and his army elder laying there. That's what it said. It said that Pharaoh, the horse, the rider, all of his men, they drowned. And then God let them wash up onto the shore so that they could see they were dead. And one day I was reading that story and God showed me, so help me. I saw the most perfect, vivid picture in my mind. I couldn't believe how clear it was when I saw Pharaoh and his army wash up onto the shore. I could see, uh, I could see parts of the chariot and I could see dead Egyptian men laying there and all of a sudden brother Monday I saw a bunch of children of Israel that God had just brought across it was so clear to me they took off running to the shore and got down on their hands and knees and started doing compressions on Pharaoh and his army they said no we can't let them die in front of us and they started breathing into their mouth. And the Lord said, this is a picture of the 21st century church. He said, they're trying to breathe life back into things that I buried in the water when I put them under the blood. True freedom is not resuscitating what God, what God has buried in the water. But rather finding that new life is beyond the Red Sea. That there is life beyond your deliverance. I'd rather just be a part of something that doesn't cost me so much. You know what? I would too. I would too. If there was any hope of anything beyond comfort. Am I making sense? I don't want this to sound ugly at all, but I'm just saying. The reason why we can make religion sound so good to people and tell them it doesn't cost them anything and they can just keep on living however they want to live is because that makes them feel good right now. But where, where are the firebrand preachers that will still stand up and declare what Jesus said, not what the bylaws of a Pentecostal organization said. Jesus said, except the man born again of water and spirit. Born again? What, what do you mean born again? I'm saying if you're born again, something had to die. If you're born again, you can't be born again but still firstborn. I figured it'd be pretty tough in here tonight, but not this tough. 
So Jesus declares to his disciples in Luke chapter 24, he appears to them on the road to Emmaus. They didn't even recognize him. They said our hearts burned within us, but we knew there was something different. But the Bible said that when he opened their understanding to the scripture, Bishop, what is the scripture? The scripture was the Old Testament. He opened their understanding to the Old Testament. Verse 44, he said to them, these are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you. Now I want you to think about this. He is walking beside them and he said, this is what I spoke when I was with you. Uh, You're with me right now. No, you don't understand. After the resurrection, the same man that was with you, the itinerant preacher that preached every week for three and a half years, is not going to go back to itinerant preaching on Sunday. I'm a different man than I was then. When I was still with you. No, 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 no. You are still with us. Yeah, but you don't even recognize me. Because after the death, the burial, and the resurrection, there is such a change in your life that people won't even recognize. You are not the same man. Well, I was with you that all things must be fulfilled. Watch, he divides the Old Testament up into three, not the popular two, the law and prophet. He said that were written of the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. You can teach me out of the Old Testament. What I'm saying to you is before he ever drew his first breath, Isaiah said that his name would be called Wonderful. Y'all are preaching so good. He had never drawn his breath in Bethlehem. And Isaiah said his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. If you want to know who I am, you've got to know what I fulfilled. And then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scripture and said unto them, Thus it is written, Thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Where was it written? The Old Testament. That repentance. Oh, so this is a New Testament church. Hang on just a second. We are not just a New Testament church. We're a Bible church. Because he said it was written. While this was being written, that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. How would it be preached in his name when his name had not yet been given? God, I don't even have time to preach all this tonight. He said, ye are witnesses. Of these things. All you got to do is a little simple word study. This doesn't make me a theologian, okay? But let me just take you somewhere right here. 
He said, you are witnesses of these things. This is the very same word that I read to you tonight in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You shall be witnesses. You said it to me tonight. One simple look in a concordance, in a dictionary. You're going to find out the original language of this. You are witnesses. That the word is, you are martyrs. You shall be martyrs unto me. Beginning at Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. He said when you get Holy Ghost power, something's going to die in you. If you're going to walk in Holy Ghost power, there you're not even going to be visible to the world. When they look at you, it's not going to be by might. It's not going to be by power, but it's going to be by my spirit. You want to know why I want to be in a dead church? Because there's power in a dead church. While the world's trying to figure out what can live, I'm trying to figure out what needs to die. I want to die that he can live in me. Pastor, what are you talking about? Man, this is crazy. What is this language? It's not new. Paul told the church of Galatians, he said, I am crucified with Christ, and yet I live. And then he said, not yet I, but Christ within me. I'm declaring to you right now that I want to be so dead that when people look at me, they say, surely that's got to be one of Jesus' kids. I feel like telling you tonight, you cannot die to your flesh and be with him and the world recognize who you used to be. We used to preach a gospel that clear out every nightclub in town. Now we just preach going to the nightclub. We'll see you Sunday. Oh, boy. I believe, I, I, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was Charisma Magazine, I think. Don't quote me on the source. I've told some of you this story because it blew my mind. I got in a magazine and I started reading. They were showcasing people that started ministries in their church. And Pastor Simon, this, this guy, they were interviewing him. His testimony was that when he came to the Lord, he was looking for something he could do to be in the, be a, have a part in the ministry in the kingdom of God. And he said one of the few things that he was really passionate in life about was smoking cigars. He had a lot of money. He smoked really fine cigars. And so Brother Gill, he bought a building or leased a building in a, in a strip mall. He renovated the inside and made it a beautiful cigar lounge with a humidor or whatever. You walk in there and everything was, you know, the humidity was right and he had all the cigars and he said, I wanted to do something for God, so I opened a cigar business. And he said, every week we do a Bible study and sit around the table and smoke our cigars and talk about the Lord. I just heard somebody back there say, man, that sounds like a good idea. I love the smell of those things. Ooh la la. I like the Cuban. Somebody just felt their call to Cuba to be a missionary, didn't you? 
It's unbelievable. We got groups now that are getting together on their Bible study night, social drinking together. I received a phone call from a man who used to attend this church. He's moved off to another state. He called me today and he wanted to know what the scripture said. He said, somebody told me this week that Jesus was a drinker. Is that true? I said, huh? He said, they told me Jesus drank wine so we can. I'm going to tell you right now. Jesus didn't do Bartle and James. Is that even a brand anymore? I don't even know. Jesus didn't do wine coolers. He didn't do that. I'm going to tell you. We are so crazy. Trying to find loopholes in the scripture. To do what our flesh loves. I can't figure out why somebody that's been delivered from alcohol would be trying to figure out how we can social drink and still be saved. I, I can't afford it. I watch these people go to Applebee's. Dear God, man, I'm feeding these five faces in my family. I don't go to McDonald's for less than 50 bucks. I went to Taco Bell the other night, and my girl's like, Daddy, I'll take that. It's cheap. I'll take that. It's cheap. And, and the lady goes, that'll be $27.95. Please pull around. I'm like, excuse me? $30 for not-so-meat meat? I'm a fan. I'm just telling you, it's crazy. And people will sit down at a restaurant, $10, $12, $13 a drink. Bring me another one. Bring me another one. And then they get mad at people that say, I saw the revelation. 10% of my income belongs to God. And they get mad when they make $150,000 a year and they're broke. But some child of God makes $50,000 a year and they're blessed with a house and a car. They got more. Oh, you don't want to help me preach. There's a revelation to this thing. I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. I'm glad I'm in a dead church. Still trying to figure it all out. <laughs> Somebody said, they said, what are you going to do when the state of Indiana legalizes marijuana? I was like, what do you mean, man? <laughs> you mean it's illegal, bro? You want to go to Taco Bell? Anybody else hungry? Oh, God, you're all dismissed. Just go home. My answer was, well, 
We've already took heroin, put it in pill form. Got people swallowing it every day. Declaring at the same time, Jesus is their healer. Are y'all ready for this? I said, I'm glad to be part of a dead church. It's hard to pray off what you can prescribe. Maybe hard to preach this duck down up here. Because I'm getting some dagger eyes right now. Are you saying medicine's not effective? No, what I'm saying is, if it's the first thing you run to, every time you feel a dark cloud come over you, you have lost your authority in the Holy Ghost. What do you think people did before they had a medicine cabinet full of legal drugs that changed and altered people's realities? They hit their face and they declared, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. When you go to a dead church, you've died out to that old man. That old man is crucified. I may get depressed. I may have dark days, but I've got the Holy Ghost and the fire and it's keeping me alive. Well, Pastor, you just don't believe people are not chemically imbalanced. Man, I've heard it all. Smartest people in the world go to college for six months and know everything there is to know. Well, people need those drugs. Well, they need Jesus. And if they come to Jesus and still have problems and can't afford it, I'll help them get their drug. But if you'll give Jesus a chance, it may blow your mind what happens when you come out of the haze and the stupor of a drug-induced halfway coma and declare, I believe that this Sunday night I will be healed. I will be delivered. I will be set free. I want to be in a dead church. I'm almost finished. Oh, God. I'm just saying, I miss the days when Jesus got the first shot. You know what I'm going to do if my kids get really, really sick? I'm going to walk in there and pray for them. And if they're still sick, I'm going to get them up. I'm going to take them to a doctor that knows what they're talking about. Because I believe in the wisdom of our medical professionals. I believe God gave them that wisdom. Believe it. But I'm going to tell you, there's things about me that a doctor can never figure out. Because I was fearfully and wonderfully made. There's things that science has been trying to figure out. I, there, there's some medical professionals here tonight that could tell you this is the truth. But some time ago, I had a man that went in for a heart procedure. He had a blocked off uh, valve, a blocked off uh, vessel around his heart. And when they got in there to do the surgery, the valve that was blocked, the artery, whatever that was blocked, another one had grown out of his heart and went around the broken piece. And went, I'm going to tell you right now, there is no medicine that can do what the creator can do 
I'm declaring to you that the God who created heaven and earth in six days is in this house tonight. He is able and willing to heal and deliver and set free. You're in a dead church. A church that believes there is life beyond deliverance. There are people in this room tonight that the doctor told you there's nothing else we can do. But in one service, ain't nobody going to help me preach up in here right now. I feel it in the house right now. I'm telling you, I feel it. I just felt something shift in this room about three minutes ago. I feel authority in the room right now. I feel healing. There is an angel standing up here with me right now that just keeps pushing me. I'm telling you, I feel the Holy Ghost and I feel the healer in the house right now. I said I feel the healer in the house right now. I'm looking for somebody that'll take that mentality that says I'm hopeless. I have no life left. There is nothing left. I'm looking for somebody that'll die right now in a dead church and come up here and believe tonight that even though men say it's impossible with God all things yes, sir. Yes, sir. elder you said it this morning how in the world could God turn water into wine are you kidding me y'all but the molecular structure is completely different in water and wine yeah, but he's the creator. They've already said, Pastor, there's nothing else they can do for me. I don't, I don't know how else to break that down to you. They're done. Yeah, but he's just getting started. You feeling it, bro? I feel the authority of the Holy Ghost in here right now. I feel something up in here right now I hadn't felt for a while. You mark it down, God will be glorified from this meeting this weekend. God is going to do something in this meeting this weekend that only he can get the glory for. God is, I feel faith in this room right now. I feel faith in the house right now. I'm declaring to every spirit of infirmity, every cancer, I declare to you greater is he that's in us. I'm speaking right now to every malignant cell in this room. Our God is greater than cancer. I'm declaring to every disease that has given you a death sentence. Our God is greater.